As we begin our time in God's Word today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of this day, for the joy that we have in coming together and worshiping, for the songs that we've sung and the words that we've heard from Scripture and the uh, the prayers that we have offered. Lord, we know that all things are, are for our good and for your glory. And Lord, I pray that as we come to this time of study, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the truth of your gospel, that you would open our ears to hear and understand. And Lord, that you would use me, your humble servant, this clay vessel, to pour out the blessings of the kingdom on these, your people. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Very short passage as we continue to look at the kingdom parables of Matthew chapter 13. If you'll remember, Jesus is preaching to uh, his disciples and to a crowd about the kingdom, what the kingdom is. But instead of just stating it plainly as his disciples would like, he is preaching in parables because the kingdom, as we've said numerous times, is not for everyone. The kingdom is not for those who half-heartedly believe. The kingdom is not for those who have an emotional experience but have no root of faith. The kingdom is not for those who don't produce any fruit and who say they believe but then don't live in response to that belief in a fruitful spiritual life. The kingdom is not for the weeds as the second parable talks about, the, the parable of the weeds, that it is not just for everyone in, on the world, in the world, but it is for those who are good seed, those who respond to the gospel and believe it and follow Jesus and produce fruit. And so today we come again to another set of two parables uh, where uh, Jesus is going to explain a, another dimension of the kingdom. And these two parables deal with that same dimension of the kingdom. And these two parables ask a very simple yet demanding question. And it's a question that I want you to ponder today. It's a question that we all need to ponder today. And that question is simply this. Of what value is the kingdom of God to you? Of what value is the kingdom of God to you? Now that question is simple because salvation is really that simple. Do you value life with God more than you do your own desires, your reputation, your power, your wealth, your influence in this world? That's all that saving faith is. Yet it is demanding because true faith demands that we are willing to sacrifice anything and everything that we might hold dear to this uh, hold dear in this world for the sake of the kingdom. And so to see that, let's read Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 through 46 together. Matthew chapter 13 starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So from these two parables, I want you to see two points today. First of all, the kingdom of God must be sought. And second, the kingdom of God must be valued. So the kingdom of God must be sought, 
and the kingdom of God must be valued. So first, consider the fact that the kingdom of God must be sought. Now, these two parables both have a single character. In one case, it is an undescript man. We don't know who this man is. uh, Jesus doesn't give us any description of the man other than he's just a man that's walking through a field and finds treasure. And the other is a merchant who's out seeking. I imagine he's a jewelry merchant who's trying to find good jewels to sell in his, his shop. And so he's looking for pearls and he finds one great pearl of great value. And so both deal with a single character and both deal with a single object of great value. On the one hand, the man finds treasure. I imagine he just he's walking through a field, maybe he's plowing the field, I don't know, and he hits a box. And he opens up that box and there's all this uh, pirate bullion, you know, in, in the box. And he's, he's, uh, he, he goes and he buys the field to, in order to have the treasure. And the other is uh, one single pearl of great value. So we have a character who finds the treasure and we have the treasure of great value in both cases. In both, notice that the kingdom of heaven must be sought above everything else. The kingdom of heaven must be sought out. Now, there are so many treasures that we seek to give meaning to our lives in this world. We seek these treasures because we believe that somehow they can give our life meaning and purpose. Some people seek literal treasures because of the assumed power and influence that it can give them. It is thought that money can bring happiness, but as the testimonies of those who have sought and found money have given time and again, it cannot bring the happiness that we think it can. Consider the testimony of Dion Sanders, who says, I tried everything, parties, women, buying expensive jewelry, nothing helped. There was no peace, just emptiness inside. When I found Christ... I found what I had been missing all those years. Others seek the treasure of pleasure, thinking that delighting oneself in the ecstasy of a drug or the euphoria of sex can give life meaning. Brian Welch was the guitarist for the infamous band Korn. And consider what he has to say about finding meaning in pleasure. He says this, I think people do drugs because there's an emptiness inside of them and they're trying to fill it. I was trying to escape out of here by a way that I knew and that was to buy drugs. I was trying to find myself and it just wasn't happening. It was ruining myself. Still others seek the treasure of power, thinking that having influence over others will give them some sort of meaning. Consider the testimony of King Solomon who was the wisest and most powerful king that Israel ever had. He wrote the whole book of Ecclesiastes to explain that he had sought every means of power. He had owned everything that he could. He had palaces. He, king Solomon, think about this. He built whole cities just to house his horses, just to stable his horses and the servants that would serve the horses. He bought, built innumerable castles in uh, the temple of uh, Yahweh. He built all of these things. He had all sorts of servants. He had 300 wives and uh, 700 concubines, which makes me question his wisdom. But uh, 
He, he had all the influence of, in the world. He had all the influence that the world could offer. And yet, he testifies that it all was, as he says, vapor and chasing after wind. You see, seeking the treasures of this world will ultimately leave you empty and condemned. Yet there's a greater treasure to be found. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, Jesus tells his disciples not to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He goes on to say a little bit later in that chapter in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you, would lay up, if you were to lay hold, if you would lay hold of the kingdom of God, you must seek it as though it is the only thing that can fill the emptiness in your heart. You must seek it as the only thing that can give you purpose. And that brings me to my second point. The kingdom must be valued. Not only do those parables, not only do these parables involve a person seeking a great treasure, but they tell of the value of that treasure. In the first parable, the man hides the treasure, so he's walking along in a field and he stumps his toe or he's plowing and he and he comes across this box of treasure and he goes and he hides it and he runs and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy the field in which the treasure resides. Now, the reason he did that is because if you know, if, you, uh, if you've ever bought land, you know that you can buy land without buying the rights to the minerals or the timber or whatever it might be. And if you don't own the land or you don't have a claim to the land, then you can't claim what's in the land. You know, if I, if I were working for you and I decided just randomly to cut down one of your trees because I wanted to build a table... You might have something to say to me. You know, I don't have a right to claim that tree just because I came across the tree. And in the same way, this man didn't have a right to claim the treasure just because he came across the treasure in someone else's field. But instead, he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy the field and in doing so gain the treasure. In a similar way, in the other parable, we find that he, the, the merchant does this very same thing. He finds this pearl of great value, and he goes and he sells everything that he has. He sells all his other jewelry. I imagine that this merchant uh, you know, is riding along in his, his cart with all of his valuables uh, along with him, and he has diamonds, and he has pearls, and he has all these things that he could, he could sell and make money off of. But he comes across this one pearl that's worth more than those, all those things combined, more than all those things doubled or tripled. And so he sells all of those things and he buys this one great pearl. And this all points to the value of the kingdom of God. Understand, until you have valued the kingdom of God above everything else in your life, you have not rightly taken hold of it. Sadly, People today value all sorts of things above the kingdom of God. Some value their job more than they, or their position in this world more than they value the kingdom. 
They think, sure, discipleship and work, uh, uh, discipleship and worship and walking with the Lord are all important, but those bills ain't going to pay themselves. And at the end of the day, I just don't have enough time to do all my work and do those spiritual things too. Now, there was a scribe that came to Jesus with exactly that attitude. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, understand in saying this, Jesus is effectively putting a question to this scribe. Are you willing to give up that cushy job that you have as a secretary or as a lawyer and the reliable lifestyle that you seek? Are you willing to give all of that up for my sake? This is what it means to value the kingdom. Others value their possessions over the kingdom of God. It's true. Uh, there's a true statement that I, I quote quite often, and that is because I experience this sometimes when I buy something. Um, the statement is, the more things you own, the more what? The more things own you, right? The more things you own, the more things own you. I've seen it as a pastor time and again. A church member will get a boat or an RV or a beach house and their commitment to discipleship and worship slowly but surely diminishes to nothing. Now, I'm not saying at all that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. I have a boat. I've, I like to get out on the river. I like to get out on the creek. I love to do those things. But any of those, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. And I know plenty of people who hold on to those things loosely. And they still remain faithful to the Lord even though they own those things. And they don't devalue the kingdom of God. It is not the nature of the possessions, but the nature of the heart that holds them that leads to the devaluing of the kingdom. In Mark chapter 10, verse 20, a rich man, rich young man, comes to Jesus and asks how he might inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus tells him to sell all that he owns and give it to the poor and follow him. And in verse 22, it says, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This verse is not a universal commandment that all Christians should sell everything they have and live in poverty, but rather, Jesus knew this man. And He knew the one thing that this man could not give up to follow Him. You see, the man had come to Jesus and, and, and asked, what must he do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus said, well, have you obeyed the commandments? And He said, yes, Lord, I've done it from my youth. And so Jesus says, okay, big boy, sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Jesus knew his heart. And he knew that although he was willing to be outwardly obedient, although he was willing to show everybody how obedient he was by doing the commandments in, in their literal form, he was not willing to sacrifice to the degree that it would take to take hold of the kingdom. And that is what it means to value the kingdom. Still others value their family over the kingdom of God. Now, when I say that, you might be thinking, well, preacher, surely you don't mean for me to put Jesus before my wife and my kids and my parents, do you? No, I don't, but Jesus does. 
In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, certainly Jesus is being hyperbolic here in making a point. He doesn't literally mean that you need to hate your family in order to be a disciple. But what he does mean is that your love, for, uh, your love and your commitment to Christ should be so consistent and so sacrificial that your love for your family looks like hate compared to it. This is what it means to value the kingdom. So throughout these kingdom parables, we've gotten a picture of what true saving faith looks like. Saving faith is fruitful. It results in good works that can be seen by others. Saving faith is shared with others as a mustard tree that grows up and shades others and provides shelter for others. As a bread, as, a, as leaven grows in, a bread, in bread and benefits others. The faith, saving faith benefits others and is shared with others. And here, true saving faith values the kingdom of God above every worldly concern. As I've already said, that doesn't mean that we always are always asked to lose our job or to sell our possessions or to forsake our family for the sake of the kingdom. But it does mean that we should always be ready to. I'm sure that Kim Davis, the county clerk at Rowan County, Kentucky, didn't ever imagine that she would have to give up her job to be obedient to the kingdom of God. But in 2015, after the ruling that legalized gay marriage, she was jailed and eventually fined $100,000 for refusing to comply because of her Christian convictions. Even today, there are countless believers throughout the Middle East and Asia who are, fors who are forsaken by their own families and their own spouses because of their conversion to Christianity. I have a friend named Shaker who was born into a Brahmin family in Nepal. In, in the Hindu world, uh, Brahmins, if you're born into a family that is a Brahmin family, that you're the upper caste of your society. You're of the priestly caste. And so Shaker, because of his family's status, he was destined to serve as a Hindu priest with all of the respect and the wealth and the position that that provides. Yet while he was in college, Shaker read a Bible, I believe it was delivered to him by the Gideons, and he became a Christian. He now serves churches in Nepal, but because he's a Christian, his family will not arrange for him to be married. And in Nepal, that's the only way that you can get married is for your family to find you a wife. And it makes it seemingly impossible that he will ever marry because of it. And even so, Shaker serves with joy because he values the kingdom above anything this world can offer. Brothers and sisters, we are called to value the kingdom in this same way. We may not face the same level of persecution that Shaker does or others in the world do, but even still, we should grow in our faith 
in these times of ease and plenty so that we can rightly value the kingdom when it comes time to stand for our faith. May we leave this place holding on to the kingdom of God above all else. At this time, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And as we do, we have before us a picture of the value of the kingdom. This is a a symbol of the pearl of great price. It is a picture of the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the King of heaven and forsook his position as the rightful King and heir of the throne of heaven. And he came and became a servant for us so that in his service to us and in his sacrifice for us, we might be redeemed and we might be a part of the kingdom of God. You see, God doesn't just demand our faith and our obedience to Him and give nothing, but rather He gives and He calls us to respond in faith and obedience. And so today we come to remember that gift, that pearl of great price that has been given for us in the body and blood of Jesus. And I ask that the deacons come forward and help in serving communion at this time.